The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Raising teens alone can be brutal. It becomes easier when you are co-parenting with the universe. Welcome to Co-Parenting with the Universe. Today, I have a guest for you, and she actually specializes in helping moms. And uh, I'm happy to introduce her to you because we need as many resources as we can And she's also helping parents with autistic children. So that is very important to have people to support us when we are in that scenario. Uh, Her name is Teresa Alexander Inman. And uh, she's a highly qualified parent coach with experience in the fields of infant toddler development play-based interventions, behavior analysis, and mindfulness. In her signature program, she uses them as a combined treatment modality to meet the unique needs of the families she serves. Um, Conservatively, she has served almost 200 satisfied families and seeks to make a greater impact in the world helping families who have children with autism and other learning differences. So welcome, Teresa. How are you? I am well. Thanks, Muriel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. I'm happy to have you here. I was in your podcast and it was a very nice experience. And um, I thought you would serve our audience as well because, I mean, you are very specialized and that's something parents need. Before we go into what you're doing, I would like to ask you to tell your story a little bit on how or what pushed you to do and serve the families that you're serving today. Oh, so first of all, it's a journey that started over, oh gosh, almost 40 years ago. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And my second son, Lee, was born premature. And I didn't know what I was doing. You know, my first son, Dre, met all milestones and everything was wonderful. I mean, he spoke, he walked, he did, I mean, just all the things. And so I didn't have any concerns. And if I did, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't have known what to do anyway, because even back then we 
you know, the services weren't available as they are today. So when my son, so when Lee was born, we, we, ha, we were told to bring him back like three months later. And I thought, okay, bring him back. I have no idea why, but that's what they said. And that's what I did. I don't remember if they told me to do anything else. I just took him back and they said, okay. And then back again at six months, then nine months and a year. And then I think at nine months, they told me he didn't have to come back. And I thought, okay, the only thing I saw him do was put shapes into a sorter. And they're like, oh, he's fine. And I thought, oh, I mean, and honestly, we didn't even have a shape sorter at home. So I don't even know how he figured that out. But by the grace of God, he did. And um, yeah, they told us we didn't have to come back. And, you know, today he's a thriving adult. So I wanted to give back. And because I had two boys, I thought going into juvenile justice would be it. So I could learn all the things I needed to learn to prevent them, you know, as two young, you know, melanated boys, <laughs> you know, how the world is, you know, growing up in Toronto, Canada, I didn't want them to be the statistics. So I thought if I learned as much as I could about, you know, juvenile justice and all that, I'll keep them out of the system. And that was my goal. And I worked in juvenile justice for a while, actually for many years, I actually started out volunteering in juvenile justice in Toronto, then moved to the U.S. and started working in juvenile justice programs. And every time a child, you know, it's like, you know, they'd exit the program and then I'd see that they were rearrested and it was like a kick to my gut. And my supervisor, Mr. McDaniel, the, I worked at a maximum security facility and he mentioned that he wanted me to be on a behavior analyst track. And I thought, I have no idea what that is, but I'll look into it. And I did and fell in love with behavior analysis. Did that for a while, actually a long time. Um, I was certified in 2012. So it's been a few years. Then after doing that for a while, I realized that, you know, as a behavior analyst, we see children usually three and older. And birth to three is so critical. We yeah. miss so many, you know, there's so many things that we could have done to prevent the issues that we see at three and older. Okay. So I decided to um, receive, to pursue a certification as an infant toddler developmental specialist. And here I am today. <laughs> that's that's a, a very nice story. And I have a niece who's autistic and the diagnosis came very late. She was actually past 18. Mm -hmm. And as you said, some signs were missed to where they could have started working with her when she was younger and maybe help her more than what was done today. So it's extremely important. Although when even if you if you are diagnosed late with learning difficulties or autism, you can still use what you're teaching parents to help um, older kids because my my audience has teenagers like moms with teenagers you can still apply what we're going to talk about today to teenagers correct absolutely I mean I've you know toilet trained adults and taught adults to feed themselves so it is very possible it's just easier when they're younger and the reason I went to because I started working with adults and it was really frustrating because, and I'll tell you why, everybody wants change. Change takes work. And yes. as people are older, you know, the family members are set in their ways and the adult, you know, client is set in their ways. So it's, 
it takes more work and more consistency for that change to happen. It is possible. They have to be willing to do the work. With children, parents are more motivated because they don't want those effects later on. And then the change is a lot faster. You know, I have taught children, you know, who are, you know, maybe a year old skills within 20 minutes. You know, they can learn skills very quickly, whereas with an adult, it may take a week or two. So it's not that it's impossible. Mm -hmm. It's just faster. And everybody needs to be consistent with that. Yeah, because I see uh, my niece, I see the frustrations and the challenges that my sister is going through. And even though it may be harder to change and, and help uh, the kid, she's desperate for a solution. And in France, it's even different because it's even behind. But... Mm -hmm there is a high motivation when you run into very strong challenges to learn how you can help your child, uh, which is sometimes not, is not even a child anymore, uh, and how you can help yourself live better. Um, what is the most common mistake, let's say, if there is one or, or several, that you see parents um, making when they have difficulties like that? So there are a few things that I can point to. Now, there are parents and who realize at a very young age that their child may need some additional help, right? Because you know, you know your child better than anybody else. You know, I tell parents, yes, I'm the expert with helping you. However, you're the expert with regard to your child because you know your child better than anybody else. And I come wanting, you know, partnering with parents because as the expert on your child and me as the expert in development and behavior, let's work together to, you know, make things happen. You know, as a lot of parents call it to make the magic happen because it feels like an amazing, you know, um, bit of magic. And it's fun. I love it. But um, some parents, they feel that like when their child isn't communicating or engaging with other people that they don't want to interact and I just want to say, it's not that they don't want to interact. They just don't know how to. And our job is to teach them because once we've taught them, it's amazing how these children, you know, have friends and they, you know, have play dates and go to parties and do all the things that children enjoy, you know, or choose not to do the things because I don't want to do it today. I went yesterday, but now they have a voice right? They're able to communicate. And because they've had the experience, they can tell you what they like or don't like, right? Because we assume because they don't engage, they don't like. But if they haven't tried it, they don't know what they like. So it's our job as parents to expose them to different experiences. Um, Temple Grandin said one of the best things, she is one of the most famous people with autism, Dr. Temple Grandin. Um, she's an amazing woman who you know, who is autistic. And she said one of the best things her parents did was expose her to new experiences. So today she travels the world and teaches and she writes books and, you know, just does all the things. She's an author, like she's just, she's just done so much. Her life is full and she's now, she's able to make her choices. Cause our, you know, a lot of times people say that, oh, when children have these services, it changes who they are. It does not. It gives them a voice. We allow them to speak for themselves to tell us what they want, right? If a child doesn't talk, if we haven't given them a way to communicate, then we're doing them a disservice. It's like somebody coming up to you and cutting off your tongue and saying, go live. 
And I'm sure it depends also on where they fall on the spectrum because there yes. is between very mild, very severe. Mm -hmm. But um, granted that they fall under a category where they can learn those kind of skills, I'm sure it's it's very freeing because then you can understand them. Exactly. Now, studies show, Muriel, that children who, like, so we we can see early on if children are at risk for autism. Those who receive early intervention services, 80 to 90% of them will talk. Oh. And that's vocal. And they'll meet those milestones like they're typically developing peers. Others, they will still be able to communicate because we'll teach them to communicate, maybe using sign or some kind of device or something. But at least we're giving them a voice. Not to give a child a voice, I think, is doing everybody a disservice because they're not able to communicate and we're not able to share with them. We're not able to hear what they have to say, whether it is through a device or pictures or sign. You know, we want, they, everybody wants to be heard. And that was one of my questions that you actually answered, because I was going to ask you, is it necessarily with words? But you said that in some cases it's with, with pictures or devices. What kind of device? What do you mean by a device? So there are different um, devices out there. Um, the one that comes to mind is the Toby Dynavox. The, it, the children can encode, you know, well, people put, they encode different things in there, you know, have pictures, and then the children will, or the adults, whoever's using it, will touch the picture, and that will, you know, tell them. They can string sentences together to communicate. Or there's also Proloquo to go. Those are the, the, those are the two, um, two of the most popular ones. Wow, that's amazing. That's great. I didn't even know about that. Um, what you, you so you work with parents too. You don't you don't only work with the children, correct? Right, because the point is the goal is to train the parents so they can teach their children. Because you know, like I tell them, I often see parents once a week, some more, but most times it's once a week. Now, the one hour that I see them for a week, that's not in, you know, yes, children learn a lot during that time. But if the parents don't continue what the children have been taught in the session, or I watch, I guide parents through what to do. So when I work with a family virtually, you know, COVID has opened up a whole, it has opened up the world to yeah. us. So we can work with parents virtually and guide them through what to do, you know, observe them where they may send in a video. Hey, this is the situation. Okay, so next time try this, right? Or observe them in a situation and point them towards uh, solutions. Do you see um, a certain resistance that is reoccurring? Like what would be the most common resistance that you encounter with the parents uh, as it comes to teaching their kids? And, and maybe sometimes you have a certain idea of how it should look and you're going to be disappointed because they won't be able to reach what you have in mind, but they will reach something, some other level or, or different ways. What what kind of resistance do you encounter with parents that they have to work on? Well, see, the thing is, though, there's not a lot of 
there's not a lot of resistance between okay. birth to three, right? There really isn't. Okay. With my older children, I see that, right? So the ones who have been diagnosed with autism, who have behavioral problems, there is more resistance there. And the reason for that is behaviors tend to get worse before they get better. Because mm -hmm. we've changed something, the child is no longer, what we're doing is teaching new skills. Right. So we always come from a place of teaching new skills. So the child used to tantrum because of this. We teach them new ways to get those needs met. And sometimes because it's new and if parents are not consistent, it, you know, a lot of times behaviors get worse. I mean, as a rule, behaviors tend to get worse before they get better. And when it starts to get worse, they think it's not working. <clears throat> oh, but we have to go through that. And the reason I say that is, so just think, um, we'll just use your car for instance, right? You turn the key and nothing happens. You're going to turn the key faster thinking that that's going to do something. And we pump the gas a little more because we're thinking that's going to do something. When nothing happens, we give up and think, oh, well, we've done all, you know? So children will do the same thing. They will try and try and try. You know, for instance, I worked with this young man and his mom placed a simple demand. He was 10. And this mom, though, was amazing. She was just, she got right on it. So he was 10 years old, having a tantrum and kicking and biting and punching. I mean, by the time I left there, I had, you know, bite marks and, you know, he slapped and kicked and I had a bump, you know, a lump on my forehead and all of that. Um, however, in the process, though, there was so much communication. This is a child who was echolalic. So basically, every time we said something, he'll repeat it. So I'd walk into the house and we'll call him Tommy. And I'd say, hi, Tommy. And he'd say, hi, Tommy. Within two weeks, he was speaking. You know, I'd walk in and say, hi, Tommy. He'd say, hi, Miss Teresa. And I'd say, how are you? I'm fine. So then we started working on those skills. However, he wanted something that was not possible for him to have, period. And... um. So he started having a tantrum and mom was like, so we're like three hours into it. And mom's like, he's never tantrum that long before. And I said, well, why is that? She said, well, I usually give in at an hour and a half. So because oh. of that, that was the problem now. And when I say it's, he wanted something he didn't have, we offered alternatives and he didn't want those alternatives either. So sometimes in life that just happens, right? Like there are things that you want that you may never have. And we want to teach children these skills. Now, after that three hour tantrum, Muriel, it never happened again. The next tantrum was 20 minutes. The next one was just like, ah, and it was done. It's like with kids who are not autistic, don't have autism. Um, I, when you give in to the tantrum, you are literally teaching the kid that, okay, I need to do that. A plus B equals C. And then that's what they're doing. And of course, the first time that A plus B doesn't equal C, like in the case of this mom, there is a lot of resistance. They try harder because they have learned a pattern of, of behavior that will give them whatever they wanted. I, that reminded me because my son, when he was 15, was highly depressed and um, he went through a lot. He, uh, he, he tried to kill himself too. And when he came back home, I don't remember what it was about. I think he wanted to go somewhere and I felt that he wasn't ready because of everything that had happened. Mm -hmm. And he was literally 15, rolling on the floor from anger because he couldn't have what he wanted. 
Mm. I saw him and I was like, my gosh, it's like he's, he's three again, but he probably regressed to that emotional age when he was doing that and I let him do it because I knew <laughs> and it passed and like you said the next time he asked for something which I didn't I wasn't willing to give in because we still had to be very careful for the weeks and months that followed mm. to who he was associating himself with and where, where I was going what he was doing etc I needed to supervise everything mm. the reaction was no longer the same Right. So it's really true for everyone, even for yeah. us as adults. Absolutely. Because see that, that behavior no longer works. And we teach a replacement behavior because you know, like I tell parents, you are preparing your child for the world. If it's not going to work in your house, it's not going to work in the world. So if you think to yourself, what I'm doing, is it helping him or her succeed in the world? Then continue doing it. If it's not, please stop. You know, just like, um, being told no. So I was working with a family and there were two children. I was actually there for the three-year-old and there was a 19-month-old brother. And every time the parents took him to the store, he wanted a balloon, the 19-month-old, and would scream and cry and tantrum. So mom asked if I could go to the store with him. I said, absolutely, because I want to be where the behaviors happen so I can talk you through it, support you through it. So we were there and walking out and he started to tantrum. And I mean, we brought other things beforehand. So I brought his favorite ball. Maybe that would distract him. And we tried to engage him in communication. None of that worked. So here we are at the cash register and he's screaming and people are looking at us. I said, listen, just look at me and smile and ignore these people. Because when he's doing the same thing at five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, then you should be embarrassed right? He's only 19 months and you expect that behavior from a 19 month yeah. old. So um, then a few weeks later, I went back to the house. She was, she thanked me. She was almost in tears thanking me, you know, about sharing with her the importance of saying no to her child. So it's like, you know, of course, because the world says no, like there are a lot of no's out there. Speed limits are no's. You know, the fact that you can't just walk into a store and pick up what you want. There are a lot of no's. So, or just walk into somebody else's house and take, you know, like they're no's. Yeah, so children yeah. need to learn no's. And so I was like, you know, of course, you know, it's what I do. And she said, no, you don't understand. I said, well, tell me. A friend of hers, she called her over. Her son had taken his life. Her 13-year-old son had taken his life. Yeah. And the police officer asked the mom, well, what happened? So she said, I said no to him. And he asked, the, so of course, the follow-up question was, well, what happened in the past when you said no? And mom was like, I have never said no to him before. So now at 13, no is rejection. No means you don't love me. Just, you know, all the negative things that he could associate yeah. with no, instead of having learned and becoming resilient, you know, yes. in those early years so that he could have tolerated no. Now, no seemed like the end of the world to him so much so that he took his own life. Oh my God, I'm sending love to that mom. I mean, so, what guilt, the guilt. Yes. That's heavy. Yeah, I, have, but, yeah. I have my hair standing on my yeah. skin. But you know, and I'm not saying that to judge anyone. I'm just saying that parents no, don't know what they don't judgment, know, and which is why, you know, you and I are here doing what we yeah. do. Yeah, because like you said, our main job is to prepare our kids to function in the world. Yes. And a kid who has never 
who was never exposed to no's, to challenges, to disappointment, to even rejection, mm -hmm. it's much harder to deal with that when you're older than when you're younger. I know I told my kids, I don't know how old they were. Thank you. Well, they were yes, going, go ahead, they were going to, um, can you still hear me? Yes, I can. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. They were going to sell something for the a fundraiser at school and were super scared. And I told them, go and get rejected. That's the best thing you can. Then your brain will understand you don't die and you can relax yeah. because that's tough. That's tough. Yes. Yeah. It is. Um, what do you have cases? And I know you, you work with parents with younger kids, so maybe you don't. But what I know that moms with autistic children are facing is those tantrums, but when they're older and people wouldn't necessarily expect either a tantrum or I know my niece sometimes blurts out some stuff that are not socially acceptable if you yes. don't know that mm -hmm. she's autistic. Um, what could you give, what advice or tool or approach could you give to a parent who's going through that a lot in public and they're, they're mortified because they don't know how to react? Okay. So first of all, when it happens, you know, when it happens, focus on your child, ignore the public. I mean, if you can, if you can just say, listen, my child is autistic and just move on, but we're not here to, you know, they don't have to make excuses or feel judged because a lot of times parents feel judged. And if they learned a tool or a skill that they need to use in that moment, they tend not to because they're embarrassed because people are watching them right? So focus on your child. Secondly, there are things that you could do at home to help prevent those things. So social stories, video modeling, just, you know, there's so much on TV, on YouTube these days, you know, that you can get examples of a situation, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to the store and you can replay, you can role play those scenarios so that when the child or the, the young adult goes out there, they already, they're prepared, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of the times they engage in these behaviors because they don't know what to expect, right? Because every time we go out, it's different. We'll see different people. Even though we're going to the same place all the time, we may see different people. But if they are armed with something they can use to, when they go out there, then that will help them. They'll be more comfortable going out there and, you know, um, and being more sociable for lack of a yeah. better word. They're prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you see parents in one-on-one -on -one settings. Yes. And you go to their house. Now, mm -hmm. when you work on Zoom, you can, let's say there is a distance, you cannot go to their house you just observe in Zoom or you just work on what happened last week? How does that work? It looks like a myriad of different things. So it could be what happened last week. It could be what's happening in the moment. It could be a situation where they're like, okay, we're going to do something for the first time. What can we do to prepare? So it, it's very, um, and I think too, with Zoom, you have more flexibility in a way right? Because sometimes it's like, okay, listen, we're going through this. Can you, can, can we like, you know, can we do this now? Right. Be, or can you, or we can re, or they can record it 
and we can sh- we can look at it and you know they can share it with me. Right. So it's um yeah, so I can be there without physically being there and guiding them through it because you know sometimes parents can they have the phone set up and they have earbuds and then I can just be talking into the ear, you know, guiding <laughs> them you know, as to what to do. Yeah. Yes, that's amazing. That's yeah. a great, great usage of our modern technology. I mean, that's amazing. Um, yes. And so you have a program that, do you have a group program or is it a, a family program for one family? Because I saw on your website that you have a program. Yes, I do. And also, yes, we do meet in groups, but essentially it's working with the family. And then the group is basically to have families understand that they're not alone, get support from other families going through the same thing because there is power in community. Yes. And when we can do that, you know, again, these are not people who are here to judge. These are people who say, listen, I, I understand. And they may even be able to help by giving some tools that they used in the past that worked for them. Yeah, yeah. So that's support, emotional support, and uh, mm-hmm. that, that helps a lot. Yes. Um, before I give your your website and everything, is there one thing you would like to, to tell parents that you always tell people that they need to know to help them? The first thing is take care of yourself, because if you oh, don't yeah. take care of yourself, you cannot you won't be the parent. You won't show up as the best self, as your best self to help your child because your child deserves your best self. Right. Because a lot of times parents, they're frustrated, they're tired. And, you know, but if you haven't slept, then how how present are you? Because you're so focused on the fact that you're tired. If you're tired, you're going to be more frustrated, which means your tolerance. If, you know, it like right here, it stops somewhere down here. Whereas if you're rested, you can tolerate a whole lot more and be more present to implement those strategies that you've learned to help your child. Um, so your website is your name. Yes. Um, let me review that. Or if you want to say it, I will also put it in the description of this episode. Yes, it's um TeresaAlexander.com. Sorry, okay. sorry. Um, I'm sorry. TeresaAlexanderInman.com. I'm even forgetting my own name. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I'll put it in the description too. Yes. And people can reach out to you with questions if they're not sure, if they need your help or they want to assess and and see if they should work with you right absolutely and you know we can have a we i offer free um parenting solution session so they can make an appointment there's a calendly link on my website and they can make an appointment and we can talk to see if you know my services are right for them amazing thank you for being here today uh i personally personally know the importance of having people like yourself to help us when we go through those kind of situations because you can feel so lonely and powerless and and hopeless so thank you for taking the time to come to this episode to be our guest today and uh, before I go is there anything else you would like to add Okay. So I want to say, first of all, thank you for having me. And the other thing is there is always hope. You said feeling hopeless. I don't want parents to ever feel hopeless because there is always hope. You know, there's one little girl who, when I was studying to be an infant toddler developmental specialist, that they showed the video as part of our training. And the only part of her body she could move was her head. 
And so parents got this device and she could touch with her head, yes or no, or make choices on this device, yes or no, which reduced frustration for everybody, right? Yeah. So if she wanted, or and not just yes or no, well, do you want, you know, carrots or whatever? So they put the picture of the carrots or whatever, and then she touched, you know, whatever with her head. And I mean, that girl smiled like there was no tomorrow because she was able to communicate. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Priceless. Thank you. Yes, yes, it certainly is. And for our audience, if you need the help, please go and reach out to Theresa on her website because, I mean, you're not alone. You're not alone. And you can have hope based on what Theresa just said today. I'll see you next week with another episode. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify. Spotify.